body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds this to the church. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the church has been practising this particular special supper down through the centuries and will continue until the Lord returns. And when we do so, when we share in this communion, Paul is saying we proclaim the Lord's death. We're proclaiming the good news, the gospel of what his death means. So then, in preparation to take the communion this morning, I'd like to just highlight four words. One is to realise, or realisation, to realise the truth that Jesus Christ died for you. That we might recognise it again as we take this communion, as we take the bread. Let us realise, let it be real to us. Let us know again in our hearts, Jesus Christ died for me. So the second word is remember. Remember is to recall, to bring to mind, to be aware. And so communion is a discipline for the believer. He's remembering so he doesn't forget. And Jesus knows our frailty and so he says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we're remembering the person of Jesus Christ. We're remembering his life, his work, his ministry, his service, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Then let it be register. And to register it means let it register in my heart this fact of Jesus dying on a cross that I might be forgiven of my sin. Let it register that we are blessed. We are forgiven of our sins, our past, our present, and even our future sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We not only have forgiveness of sins, but we are reconciled to God. We are brought into God's family. We are given the gift of eternal life. And then lastly, Let us respond as we take this sacrament, this communion. Let us respond with a never-ending thanksgiving and a praise and a worship of the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Let us claim him to be Saviour and Lord. So this morning we will receive the elements. We will be reminded of that 
symbolism, the signs that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples and to the church through the centuries. He said about the bread. He broke the bread and said, this is my body. It's broken because he took upon himself our sin. His bones were not broken. We know that from the Bible. But in himself he was broken because of taking upon himself the sin of the world. He took the cup and said that this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. A covenant is a relationship. And so we are bound together with Jesus Christ in this covenant and together as the body of Christ in this place. Our stewards are going to service. I'm going to ask you to hold the bread and the wine and then let us then, I will give you some direction as to eating and drinking. Thank you, stewards.
Let us pray. Let us give thanks for this communion. Lord Jesus, risen Saviour, we pause. We come, Lord, to this communion supper, remembering your words that we are to remember you. We thank you, God, for your saving power through Jesus Christ. We're thankful that Jesus Christ is alive, he's real, he's living right now. We thank you that the Holy Spirit would give us this conviction, this truth and this assurance. So thank you, God, for sign and symbol which conveys to us truths that are deep and that that are sincere from you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. When you take the bread, would you like to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me? As we take the cup, the reminder of the blood of the new covenant. Can you remember when there were special birthdays, like a 21st birthday party, and there was a guest of honour? And uh, at the time, then there were speeches, and if there was some drink, uh, we would stand, wouldn't we? As an honour, as an honour to the guest of honour. So I'm going to ask us to stand, to remember that Jesus Christ is the guest of honour. He is alive. He knows us. We are celebrating his death and resurrection. And so you could say with me, thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Let's drink. And I'd close this with... a reference to a verse in Romans. Please be seated. When I heard of the new title for your congregation, your church here, about the New Hope, the New Hope Wesleyan Methodist Church, I came across this verse and I thought, when I uh, meet with this congregation, I would tell them about Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. You're the new hope church here. Verse 13. May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and believe and let everyone... I'm sorry, it doesn't say believe. Then Peter said to them, repent 
and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptised, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. To encourage you as a congregation, by looking at this passage in the scripture, in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the church, following the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come upon the believers. And of course, this is the same Holy Spirit that is being at work amongst us, amongst you. And so the message has to do with growing the church. I hope it's going to be a. I hope it's going to be of um, of encouragement to you. Well, <coughs> we've got, of course, we've got. What have we got there? Babies grow, and uh, children grow, and plants grow. And what about the church? What about your church? Is it God's desire for your church to grow? Well, we know that there's a great commission given by Jesus Christ that's been accepted by the church down through the centuries. And so we have Jesus speaking to his disciples, which has been a call to each church of each generation. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So there's a clear teaching of Jesus Christ, a challenge to the church, make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so in the New Testament church, We see this in practice. We see, first of all, 
the growth of the church. After Christ's ascension, following his resurrection, we read that there were 120 believers who met together before the day of Pentecost. After the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come upon the church, upon those believers, it said 3,000 people were added to the church. And then again, at the preaching of Peter and John and the testimony of the apostles, we have here a record that there were 5,000 added to the church. And then the church spreads. There's a persecution of the church, but in chapter 9, following that persecution, the church moves out of Jerusalem into the other places, the provinces nearby, in Judea, Samaria, Galilee. And then we have a record that in what we call Turkey in our present time, that the churches grew in number. The churches grew daily in number. So, here's a challenge for us. What can we learn from God's word about growth, about growing? How do we grow? And I'd like to leave you with four categories, and this is the first one, growing up. And that is to do with diligent maturing. If we are to grow as a church, we need to grow in our own personal maturity, the maturity of our faith. And you'll notice what the early church did. First of all, it says they devoted themselves, or noticed in the Bible reading, they gave themselves steadfastly, what? To the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. What were they learning? They were learning from the apostles about the person of Jesus Christ, the one to whom they had just devoted their lives. They had given him their hearts. They had received Jesus Christ into their life. And now the apostles, remember, they were the original disciples. They went around with Jesus for three years. They were learning from Jesus. And so what they had learned, and with the promise of the Holy Spirit that he would remind the disciples about what they'd learned, they were teaching the new believers. So, learning as a church, learning as individuals, is basic to our Christian maturity. Are we teachable? Are you a teachable person? Can you learn and grow in your faith because you want to. Do you see, they devoted themselves. It means they were committed, they were determined, they were disciplined, they wanted to grow. This is Paul's prayer to the church. And Paul's prayer to the church is like this. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and harmless until the day of Christ. He's wanting the church, the church at Philippi, and I'm sure this word comes to every church that wants to grow, He wants us to grow in our love, 
in our knowledge, our knowledge of our faith. And then with this knowledge, a depth of insight, that is a capacity to gain an accurate, intuitive understanding of something. We want that deep understanding of what we believe. And it says, this will help us to discern what's best. What does God want for us? What's God best for our lives? We are able to discern it because we're growing, we're maturing, we're learning. So, growing up, diligent maturing. And I'm just, yes, Ephesians. Let me just read something about Ephesians. There in Ephesians, Paul is saying, look, the church is given certain leaders, as you have certain leaders in your congregation. What's the purpose of the leaders? Paul tells us, to prepare God's people for the works of service. This is, this is a sign of your maturity. You want to serve. You want to serve in the church, but you want to serve the community. You want to serve Jesus Christ with your life. So that the body of Christ may be built up. We want everybody to be built up. We want everybody to grow, to be blessed with maturity. Then we will no longer be infants blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, in all things, grow up unto him who is the head, that is, the church. This is Paul's prayer for the church and, of course, for every church. What about lack of growth? Well, the writer to the Hebrews says, look, I should be teaching you more, but you're still infants. So there's a challenge for us as to, well, as to our own present position in Jesus Christ, whether we're teachable, whether we're learning, whether we want to grow. When my son started in grade one, he had a little, a little girlfriend or little friend called Fleur. And it was noticed that Fleur was below average in weight and height. So when they were taken to the doctor, when she was taken to the doctor, it was discovered that she was miss missing a growth hormone. And so that had to be introduced into her body, a growth hormone. And I'm wondering if... Is there anybody here needs a growth in uh, a growth sort of hormone, a spiritual one that'll lift you up and build you up and help you to grow? Well, what's the second one? Growing together, growing together, and it says here that they devoted they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This is a fellowship. It's a fraternity. It's a, it's a gathering of people who want to worship God. It's, it's a collection of believers, of disciples of Jesus Christ in this present age and generation. It's a fellowship. You're in fellowship with one another. All the believers were together. 
They were worshipping together. They were meeting in each other's homes. They were having a bread together, probably communion together. And every day they continued together. So this is a, this is a clue as to a growth within the church. It's a recognition of belonging, belonging to each other. Well, the nature of the church, we're interdependent. We're we're dependent on each other. We are to be that way because we're a fellowship. We're to learn from one another. We can be challenged by another's faith and service. We're interrelated. When you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you become a member of God's kingdom, a member of God's family. And so, of course, this would mean we're interrelated. We belong to the same family. We belong to God's family. You belong to God's family. And so we're interactive. Of course we are. We are to be active in duties for the kingdom of God. Not just singly, not just the leaders, but all of us. Let me, you know what these are called. These, these are um, redwoods or sick. See, uh, hang on, secure, uh, see, sequoia. Thank you, Russell. Sequoia. Towering much as 300 feet from the ground. And for those who are into metres, that's 90 metres. Strangely, these towering trees have unusually shallow root systems that spider out just under the surface of the ground to catch as much of the surface moisture as they can. Now, I'm telling you this because we're like this. Storms with heavy winds... Oh, and this is their vulnerability. That is a sort of a shallow root system. Storms with heavy winds would almost certainly bring these giants crashing to the ground, but this rarely happens because they grow in clusters. They grow close together. And their intertwining roots provide support for one another against the storms. In the support of each other's, each other, these trees stand firm. Now, when I read that, isn't that a wonderful description of what the church is to be? We're supporting one another. Some of us do have shallow roots. We're liable to fall over in a storm. But we are together, giving strength to one another. Paul instructed the church. What did he say? Well, he said to encourage one another, pray for one another, weep with those who weep. That is, well, be sensitive to what's happening in another person's life. Forgive each other. Be concerned with one another. Well, I brought this along because I want us to think about what kind of congregation are we. Are we like, um, are we like, well, these Queensland nuts? 
Sure, now we're very sweet inside. However, we've got a hard shell. Perhaps some of us have a hard shell. And we bounce around and bounce off each other. No, of course not. I think, what about another analogy? What about being a bunch of grapes? A bunch of grapes. We are growing together. We are, of course, belonging to the, to the vine. Jesus Christ is the vine. And so what happens to the bunch? We grow and we flourish. Or if we're having a hard time, we're all affected. But what kind of church are you? Well, are we belonging to each other in this fellowship? It's going to take some effort. It's going to take intentional friendships. We have to work at this. It just doesn't happen naturally. We're such a bunch of, well, complicated people. We're all different. And so it's going to take some effort to be a friend with another. What about being sensitive? A sensitive discernment about each other. What's happening in our lives? Growing out. Now I know this has not got to do with middle age, is it? No. I know some of us in middle age, we do grow out. But no, this has to do with the church. What does it say? It says, all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave it to those who had need. Now, this was a spontaneous communalism, not communism, a communalism. It was an extravagant generosity of the church in that particular time. This is what they did. Some of you might remember Barnabas. Well, he, he gets a mention of selling a field that he had and he brought it to the apostles in this very practice. Here's the money. You give it to those who are in need. And what it has to do with is just following the example of Jesus. Jesus Christ shows us what it means to have a compassion for people, a concern for people, a care for people. And that's how the church is to be. We are to grow out, out to each other. An example of the New Testament church. Well, in chapter 6, the church is already in very, very early life and in their structure, their new structure, they were caring for the, uh, for the widows within their congregation. Why? Because there were no widows' pension. And so the church said, look, these, these women, they don't they need. They, they don't have an income of some kind. Who's going to look after them? We will. And then... In, in Acts chapter 9, there's an individual who gets named, Tabitha, always doing good and helping the poor. So that's recognised. She belongs to the church. This is what she was doing in her congregation. Paul says to the church, he says, look, um, therefore, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
So, here's deliberate caring. And what does that mean? Well, it means it's going to be patient with people. It's going to cost us personal time. It might even be inconvenient for us to be caring for somebody else or showing them compassion. Well, supporting one another. Supporting one another, that's what the church is about. I want to tell you a story about a jockey. Deliberate caring. In the 1930s, a jockey called Johnny Logden was rammed in mid-race. That is, they were racing along on their horses and he, the horses were so close in the race, he got jostled, jostled, and he falls off. One, well, he falls right over. Seeing his predicament, another jockey reached out and attempted to push Longdon back up onto his horse. Mm. Unfortunately, he pushed too hard. And Longdon flew over the horse onto the other side. Still another jockey on the other side grabbed him and was able to push him back onto his saddle. Amazingly, Johnny Logden won the race. (laughs) The newspaper dubbed it the ultimate impossibility. Helping hands had not only saved him from severe injury and possible death, but allowed him to win the race. Now look, isn't that a wonderful analogy of the Christian church, of the congregation? about, well, sometimes we do slip over, don't we? We're liable to kind of stumble or get pushed out of balance and there's somebody who pushes us back. Well, they might be overzealous and enthusiastic and push it back too hard, but there's another person who steadies us, gives us that balance, gives us that support, gives us that security. That's what it means about caring in our church. Growing more, and this is to do with <clears throat> this is to do with devoted witnessing. Look, this is so wonderful. Here's the church; it's just just growing in the sense of it's all new, and people are coming together, and they are learning about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be following Jesus Christ, what it means to be actually empowered by God's Spirit. And we read at the end of this chapter, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Look, we are doing the Lord's work. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is concerned about his church. The Lord is concerned about the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he is wanting to reach out 
to, the, to those who need Jesus Christ, those who are sinners. And he's doing that through the church. The Lord added to this particular church those who are being saved. The Lord was honouring the church because he could trust that church. He knew that those who were brought in would be nourished, they would be accepted, they would be taught, they would be supported. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The example of the New Testament church. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Look, this is after Peter and John had been put into prison. And they come out of prison, go to the church, and there's a prayer meeting. And they pray to the Lord God. What do they pray? Oh, save us, Lord. Um, this could mean persecution. It could be a hard time for us. It could be jail for us. No, look at what they say. Or pray, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This was on their heart. They wanted to be witnesses. They wanted to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. In chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This followed the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The Christians were scattered. They were getting jailed. Can you imagine going home this afternoon and the police coming on your door saying, you went and worshipped this morning, didn't you? We're arresting you because you're a Christian. I mean, that's impossible for us even to imagine, but that's what was happening. Were they quiet when they went and got scattered? It says they preached the word. Well, when I say preached, I'm sure they weren't standing up on the street corner. It means they were testifying to their faith. They were sharing their faith. They were telling others about Jesus Christ who had saved them. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us? Can we be encouraged by looking at the New Testament church we're growing, what, what do we, we need to grow up. We need to be learning together. We need to be maturing in our faith. What can you do to, for that? Can you join a group, a, a, a study group, a home group? I'd encourage you. Look, let me encourage you too to read the scriptures day by day. That is so basic, so important. You learn, you learn yourself. Looking at God's word. God word God wants to teach you from his word. You will grow up by reading the word of God and with others. Growing together. This is important. The character, the ethos of your congregation. Supporting, caring for each other. Growing out. There's a challenge for us all, for every church, not just this congregation, but we all need to be reaching out. We all need to, to have that confidence. We all need to be knowing how to do it within our Australian godless culture. Growing more. Growing more. God's blessing will see to it that we can grow more as we honour him. 
I think this is called a dragon boat. Okay? I want to imagine, I want you to imagine now, just in closing, that we're all in this boat. This congregation is all in the boat. Well, I'm hoping all of us are. I hope none of us is still sitting on the wharf. But no, you're saying, no, this is where the church is going. I'm part of it. I want to be there. And so have you picked up your paddle? Right, okay. We're all in this dragon boat. We've got a paddle. Now the next thing I need to ask, are you paddling? Are you paddling? Are you using that oar that God has given to you, that talent, that ability, that assurance of your faith? Are you paddling? And then, there's very, it's not only us in this boat paddling, but there's a person, can you see right in the prow, right at the, uh, right at the beginning there, at, at, the, at the, this end of the, the boat, there's, a, there's a, a person there. Now, <clears throat> he has a special leadership. He has a drum. And he beats the drum, which directs the paddlers and also decides the rate of the strokes. And, of course, he's encouraging the paddlers. He knows the capacity of the paddlers. And so he matches his drum strokes to what he knows of the congregation, or the, the paddlers, the paddlers. So he, of course, represents Jesus Christ, the head of the church giving you leadership. Now, we can't really see, but at the stern of this boat, there's another person who's got a big oar, and he steers this boat. And, of course, he's called the sweep, or the steersman at the stern. He has a long oar that steers the boat. What's he doing? He keeps the boat, the paddlers, in the right direction. He guides them. He directs them. And of course, he represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this church who guides the church, who empowers this church in the truth, the character and the conduct of the gospel. And of course, we have... Growth in the church. Let's pray. Lord, look, we're so needy. We're like any congregation. We need, Father, to have fresh vision. Thank you, God, for this new title, The New Hope Wesleyan Methodist Church. I pray, God, that this title indeed will be a challenge and an inspiration for this congregation that they will have new hope, the hope of being more effective ambassadors for Christ, the hope, Lord, of being a church to which others are added to your glory and honour. Bless them, I pray, each one. Strengthen them in their faith. Give them a courage of heart. Lord, let them look to the empowerment of your spirit day by day. Amen.